Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message today out of this book of Revelation. If you've been following along, you know that we're going through the whole entire book of Revelation, which is quite the task. And I begun this many, many weeks ago, and I'm now in chapter 20. In fact, that is still our context for today, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We've been looking at this already for two weeks, and so we're going to cover more details today. There's, it's amazing the details and the things that are involved in this particular section that I think is good for us to go through. So I want to begin by reading the text. Uh, it's found in verses 11 through 15 of Revelation chapter 20. And I invite you to read with me or at least follow along in your Bible as I read this because you should never just take the word of, of the pastor or the preacher preaching uh, always follow along and see if what they're saying is actually true to the text. So here we go in Revelation chapter 20. The word of God reads in verse, beginning in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So once again, we're looking at this section, and there are quite a few details here that we're, we're just needing to cover. It's a very interesting section. It's not one of your more pleasant sections to teach, like a lot of sections in Revelation. They're kind of exciting to teach because it is future, and we can see so much prophecy in Revelation here. But the, this is not one of those places. It's a very difficult passage to have to look at when you consider all of the millions and the millions and the millions and millions of people this is a reflective of. And I say that because of all the multitude of people that we see. When we read in verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. That encompasses all the people ever born from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, all the way through to the end of the kingdom age, which hasn't even come yet. So you're looking at approximately 7,000 years of time. 7,000 years of time. And so we, we look at this, some people say eight, well, between seven and eight, we'll give you that. Seven and eight thousand years of time uh, in which all of these people that are standing there, but they're people that it's not everyone who was ever born, it's all of the unbelievers, all of those who have rejected Christ, who have refused to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, are going to be right here in this crowd as they are standing before this throne. And so I think that was what makes it so interesting is the, the number of people that are involved here. So we begin to break this section down two weeks ago by looking at the picture or the scene that John paints for us as this vision that he sees. He sees 
a great white throne. That is the picture. That is the scene in which God is the judge and God is sitting there on his throne about to make judgment on these people. And it is a place that we do not want to be. This is not a place for believers. This is a place for unbelievers. But we see God is the judge and the person of Jesus Christ. We made those statements when we reached that. It takes place in the absence of earth and heaven as we know it. There's this great white throne, and where it takes place is not really relevant to our understanding. It's not important to our understanding, that is, because of all of the other details here. We know it's between the destruction or the uncreation, as someone has put it, of the uh, old heaven and old earth, and it's uh, not yet at the point of the new heaven and the new earth. So somewhere suspended out there, will take this will take place. Now, where are the believers at this time? I don't know. It does not say. We can assume they're in heaven or they're in this area out there uh, observing or as witnesses to this trial that is taking place, this judgment. I don't know. We just do not know for sure because it doesn't tell us, and we don't really even need to speculate. All we need to be concerned with is, are we in this judgment or not? And I think it's going to be clear from the text that we are not. So we began looking at this, and we saw the picture, and that's the scene that I'm talking about right now. It takes place in the absence of heaven and earth, and it takes place somewhere out there, and God takes a close look uh, at this uh, as far as description of this, given this instruction to John to record this. Now, John is told to write these things. You remember back in... In, uh, in Revelation chapter 1, he's told to write these things. Uh, those things that are to take place shortly, those things which are yet to come. And the, all this is yet to come. It hasn't happened, but John is being told to give us this. Well, why is he giving it to us? Well, number one, because God told him to. He's writing it because he's given that instruction to write. And it's for our understanding. Remember now, we can't know anything about God apart from God. God reveals to us. It's God that has a desire for us to know what we know, and he makes it possible for us to know. And so we are given this information. We're even given it in the form of a book called the, Re the Book of Revelation, and we're told we're blessed if we study it. So we see that this picture is a scene for all of these people. Now, these people, we've said, are all of the unbelievers, and uh, these are the ungodly of all ages. Their spirits are in Hades, but that's only temporary where they are now. They're awaiting this moment that we find in Revelation. They're not at that moment yet. You see in verse 13 and 14, it says, Death and Hades give up the dead. Why? Verse 14 says, Death and Hades go out of existence. They're thrown into the lake of fire. So what you have here in the end of the universe as we know it, including somewhere in this universe, it's a place called Sheol or Hades, a place of punishment, a place of remorse, a place of pain, a place of terror, and it's ultimately eliminated in the elimination of the universe in favor of a final place called hell. And that's what we're going to cover in detail next time. But the scene here is really incredible. As the universe dissolves, Hades and the grave dissolve with it, which means all the bodies then come out before Hades is emptied out of the, out with the spirits and the bodies are emptied out of the universe and is, as it is uncreated and actual resurrection bodies are created for the ungodly dead. That's why it's called a resurrection unto damnation or as Daniel called it, a resurrection unto contempt.
It is a resurrection, and the difference between Hades of suffering now and the eternal hell is the Hades of suffering now is the suffering of the soul only. And I know this is hard to understand. And we did mention it last week, and I got questions on it. Well, I can't answer the questions because I don't really know. I just know the actual verbiage of, of, of what the Bible gives us. There's a difference in the way people in hell are suffering now compared to what they're going to be after this moment that we're talking about in Revelation 20. The suffering of hell will be a suffering of the soul in a resurrection body. But right now it's just temporary. They don't have their body. They will be body and eternal soul rather than the eternal body fitted for eternal hell. And so the scene gives way to this, this, this uh, summons or this look or this picture of all these people that are standing there uh, in, in the very presence of God. Uh, in, the, in, in the very presence of this great white throne. So the scene gives way as all the ungodly from all of human history are called before the judge. So this is a, an astounding picture that John is painting for us. Now, of course, he didn't dream this up. He sees this. John actually witnesses this as he sees this. Look at what he says in verse 11. And I saw. John is up there in heaven and he saw this throne. And look at what verse 12. And I saw the dead. It, it, John sees this. He is a witness to this. So what we have in Revelation is testimonial. It's a testimony of what John has already witnessed. Now how hard do you think it was for John? To go back to the Isle of Patmos, from which he has been banished from society and suffering there. They've sent him there just to die. But, uh, you know, John doesn't die. They, they, it's, all, it's like they can't kill him. You know, he was the one who was almost, he took, a, they, they put him in a bath of hot tar trying to kill him, and he wouldn't die. It says uh, later, uh, we actually don't have much of, I don't think there's much of a recorded of his death, but he actually got out of Patmos and went and pastored a, a small church or was helping with a small church. Of course, all the churches back then were small. But this is a, a, a scene in heaven that John witnesses. He sees this. And so the people there, I don't know what he's thinking when he sees this, but he says, I saw the dead great and small, standing before this great white throne that he's also seeing, and books were open. And we've talked about this. So the problem with all these people standing here, and we got into this last week, was there is a problem. There is a standard by which these are going to be, they're going to be judged. That's what they're in front of the judge for. God is presented as the judge. They are standing in front of him for the reason of judgment. So, with all of this going on, you have to ask the question, what is actually going on? And so last week we began to answer and ask, ask and answer that question by saying, well, if all these people are there and they're going to be judged, what is the standard by which they are going to be judged? Or what is the real problem here against them? What is the case against them? And so we looked at this. We began to look at this, and I, I just want you to, 
to uh, bear with me as we get into this uh, just, a, just for a moment again because I'm going to be saying some things I did not say last time. But this has sparked the attention of several people who have contacted me because of, uh, of what is written here. It's very disturbing when you, when you look at this uh, because it's, uh, there's information it doesn't give us. And like a lot of prophecy or most all prophecy, there's, it creates a lot of questions. Prophecy is not in, intended to give us all the answers but to give us what information God desires for us to have. So we see this standard. But I want you to notice something. Look at, look at what it says in verse 12. The dead are standing before the throne. And then it doesn't say they're judged. It just says books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So the book of life is going to be dealt with a little later. So we go back to these books. It says the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. You have the book. You have, you have the books first, and then you have the book. We don't know how many books, but for all these people, it's probably a lot of books. I don't know how they're presented. I don't know what they look like. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't know. I mean, you know, today's standard, we would say, well, how come there's not a computer there? Well, because the computer today is uh, represents uh, a knowledge, and all that knowledge came from books. So... I don't know what, what it is other than the fact that books are there and the books were opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things in those books. The book of life is going to be dealt with in just a minute. But it says the books were opened and they were judged according to the things in the books, according to their deeds. So here's where we got into this last week. The standard is an important thing to understand. The standard by which they are judged, well, the standard is, is an absolute standard. It can't be opinion. It just, the standard can't be opinion. It varies too much. You could take two people on the street and ask them the same question. Even if they saw the same accident, they're going to say different things according to the accident. In fact, I've often read uh, insurance reports of people who have been witnesses to wrecks, and the, you read some of the, the, the witnesses on the same wreck, and you see such different things so witnesses or testimonies concerning something can be so different so the standard by which all of these people are judged has to be uniform it has to be absolute there has to be a perfect kind of a standard and we see it in verse 12 and it says we see it again in verse uh, verse 12 and verse 13 that these books are there uh, at the end they're judged according to their deeds the end of the, uh, verse 13, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. So it's a judgment of deeds, first of all. We, we mentioned this last week. All their deeds are in front of them. Each individual has these deeds in front of them, and they're judged according to. Now, when you look at the deeds, we look at the recording of these deeds. That's what's being recorded. God has recorded, we said it last time, every thought. God has, has kept perfect, complete, flawless. Uh, there's, there's a comprehensive record of every person's deeds and every person's thoughts. Every word, every action, every act done throughout their entire life. Now, that is a lot. When God doesn't have to do that. He only has to present. Technically, God only has to present one deed that breaks the standard and we're guilty of all. That's all he has to do. But instead, all of the deeds to show the overwhelming evidence against each individual that is standing in front of this throne. It's amazing. 
If you've ever broken uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, many of you may have you've even asked me, who is the heck is Donald Gray Barnhouse? Well, Donald Gray Barnhouse has written several commentaries, and I've got a couple of them. I used to have more. I think I loaned them to people, or they grew legs and they walked away from my library. But if you've ever broken, he says this, if you've ever broken one law one time in your entire life, then you are cursed. You are guilty of of punishment. You're guilty of, of uh, and deserving punishment. People will, will, will not realize this while here on earth, that if you break one of God's laws, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So God, once again, only has to present one. So do you think once in any part of your life, any time of your life, you ever broke one of the Ten Commandments? Well, there are people out there who would say, no, they hadn't. They would say they have not broken a, a law. They would not. I've had people tell me they've done good. I think when God looks at everything, that he's going to say, I've been pretty good. I'm, I, I'm, I'm worthy of heaven. So many people have told me that, that it, it makes me wonder about this as far as how many people are really going to be here. In other words, how many people am I thinking or are themselves thinking they're going to heaven when in actuality they're not? They're actually going to the great white throne judgment. I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I think it's a lot. So the standard here becomes important. So what is God's standard? Well, I, I mentioned last week, as found in Matthew 5, 48, be ye perfect. Perfect. You've got to be perfect. Well, I, you know, if I was in a, I've been pastor of a church for many years, and I know if I were in any of these churches or if I was in your church, wherever you are, and I were to stand in your pulpit and say, how many of you have been perfect all your life and are even now in this present time perfect? How many do you think we would see as far as hands go? How many hands would go up, you think? Well, nobody would admit they're perfect. We know we're not perfect. We might be okay. We might think, oh, well, we really hadn't done anything deserving of hell. But we definitely didn't do anything worthy of not going to heaven. My goodness. But we're not perfect. Well, God's standard is perfect. So we have to have an answer for that. What, what, what is the answer? Well, the answer is I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Well, the answer is you go before the great white throne judgment. And there you will be judged. Everything in your life will be put up against the standard of perfection, of God's perfect, holy, righteous law. Everything. So if you've ever broken one, you've broken them all. So guess what? You're going to be proven guilty. You're going to be proven guilty at that great white throne. Now here's the implication here. Every single person standing, the great and the small, every one of them standing, are going to be proven guilty before the end of this passage. Every one of them. How many people do you think that is? How many unbelievers do you think have died and gone to the temporary judgment of hell since the creation began? And got to still, we're still people are dying every day. And they've still got to go through the tribulation period and the kingdom, which is at least another thousand years. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So all those people, 
are going to have their, their lives put in open light, up against a standard that is impossible, up against a standard of perfection that can't be matched. No one can stand with that kind of a standard and be able to stand up. They all would fall down. They're all guilty. The only person in the entire universe who's, who qualifies for the perfection of the standard is Jesus Christ. All these people have rejected him. They have refused to believe Jesus. They have refused to accept him as their Lord and their Savior. So they're standing there before God on this great white throne to be judged, every one of them according to their deeds. That, that, that's an that's a amazing thing to see. So when, when the, they come to this point, then it's over for them. Now, I mentioned last week, notice that it doesn't say anything about them talking. Notice what it says. They're standing, and then it says the books were opened, and they were judged according to the thing, and then it says they're thrown, which is the, the sentence, which, which we're going to look at next week. So who are these? Well, it can't be the righteous. Their sins are remembered no more. We, God doesn't remember our deeds. They have been wiped out over because of the blood of Christ. They're buried, it says in Isaiah, in the depths of the deepest sea, no longer in existence. And the sea is gone and everything's buried there with it. But the ungodly, every sin is remembered. Our sins are forgotten. Removed as far away as the difference between the east and the west, Isaiah says. The record, by the way, for each person will be unique. And so will their punishment. Now, I know people don't believe in the degrees of punishment, and I'm not going to get into all that because it takes too much time. But I do believe there are degrees of punishment. But I don't think it really matters. Because I think it's, it's like in one passage, it says one will receive uh, a lesser punishment, fewer lashes by the whip, well, what difference would that really make? I mean, punishment is punishment, so I'm not even going to get into the degrees of punishment. So, in fact, uh, Donald Gray Barthouse says, uh, according to the degrees of punishment, he does believe there's degrees, but he says, I might hastily add, it's only the degree to which you gnash your teeth, the degree to which you feel the pain and remorse and the pains of the conscience and the fire of judgment. So, not a whole lot of difference there. And so we look at this and we, we see once again that th this is a terrible, terrible time as people are proven guilty one after another in this. One after another. In fact, it, it, it's, it's so reflective of, of, of people's opinion, uh, uh, conversations I've had with people is, it, it, it recently, and I've even mentioned this, that people think, well, I, you know, I've been good. I, I have not been that bad. And according to the survey that I mentioned last time, it, listen, most people think that hell is reserved for the really, really bad, the Jeffrey Dahmers or, or those serial killers or those who mutilate people. Or, but not me. I'm not worthy of hell. And so they don't believe it. They don't believe that they're going there. They think the standard is going to be, God's going to grade on the curve, just like we used to have teachers that would do that. If everybody flunked a test, they would take the highest one and give that an A. And everybody else would be under that. 
But you know what? The standard is, is too great. It's, it's too hard. It's impossible to keep. We can't be measured up against that standard and make it. Nobody can. Isn't that the whole point of Revelation? The, I mean, the, the, I get Revelation and Romans confused. Isn't that the whole point of Romans? Is it? No, we cannot. But you know what? I want to tell you something else, too. And, and this is an interesting thing because uh, we, we, we see this in the Scriptures. Uh, it, it, it's, there, I mentioned this. That there's no talking here. It doesn't say they're speaking here. But that doesn't mean they're not speaking. Uh, it just means that that's not what John was told to write. But I want to show you something. And I think it's very important to bring it up at this point. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. And if you want to turn there or just write it down, please take note of this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We know that. I mean, we could, we could, we could put that in, in the vernacular of today's English and we could say, well, it, that really is saying not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who says they're a believer is a believer. We know that. So here's the way it puts it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's, we, we know, we understand that. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. And then for a little further explanation of that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Many will say to me on that day. What day? I think it's this day. I think it's this day of those standing before the great white throne. I think it's the day when their deeds are being revealed and they're being shown, proven guilty by every one of the deeds. Not just by one, but it's, it's a whole life of condemnation. It's a whole life where everything is being proven guilty. You're guilty of. But it says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Well, that wasn't the standard though, was it? You have to ask, well, why would they bring that up? Well, because they're hoping that if they did that, maybe once or twice, that would override all of the other faults in their life. And it doesn't. It does not. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, meaning each individual that says it, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, he can say that on the basis of the deeds being revealed from the book of their life. The book recording all of the deeds of their life. He can say, look at the record. Depart from me. You never trusted Christ. Man, that is a powerful thing. This is for all those people that I'm not talking to today. They won't hear this message. They think they're going to heaven and there's really no evidence. There's no reason why they would think they're going to heaven other than according to their own measure, they think they're actually okay compared to whoever they are comparing themselves to. I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anyone. I've never robbed a bank. I've never done anything that bad. 
And that's the, what they're looking at. They're looking at the standard created in their own mind. Well, that's not the standard God uses. He uses the absolute perfect standard of His perfect law. And these people will be proven guilty. But then it notices, I want you to notice something else in verse chapter 20. Verse uh, 13, every one of them, according to their deeds, were judged. Verse 14, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But then it says something about this other book that's mentioned in verse 12. In verse 12, it says the books were opened and another book. Well, look at the other book. The other book now is mentioned in verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I want you to understand this. What book is that? Well, it's God's book. Well, what book is that? It's the book of life. What is the book of life? There's so much under misunderstanding about the book of life. Some people think that the minute you're saved, God records your name in heaven. Well, that, that's not true. That is not true. I want to show you something. We talked about this in Revelation chapter 13, but I know you probably, if you've listened to all these, you've forgotten Revelation 13. So I want to take you back there. Revelation 13 verse 8. Look at it. If you can turn back there, look at this book. I mean, this chapter with me. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says this. We're going to have to close out with this. In Revelation 13, 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Who? The Antichrist. They're going to worship him. Look at what it says. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone. Not most. Not a majority. Not ten out of six out of ten. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. Now, wait a minute. Listen, I want to break that down real quick for us. Everyone whose name is not in the book of life, that's clear in that text. In other words, it's the same people that are standing before the presence of God at the great white throne judgment. Their names are not in the Lamb's book of life. He's looking and their name is not there. If he does not find their name there, they are thrown. Look at what it says in verse 14. Uh, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, when would their name have been recorded in the Lamb's book of life? Was it at salvation or was it somewhere else or was their name written and erased? Well, I can tell you right off, number one, their name was never written and erased. If their name was ever written, it stains. It's never to leave. But let's look at verse 8 again. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Do anyone who has ears to hear, you claim you can understand Scripture, then listen to what it's saying. Listen to what it's saying. And here's what it's saying. Your name, and I know this is so difficult for people. Hey, I know it is. I've got friends. I've got... I just know all kinds of people who just don't believe this. But it says it. Our names were recorded in heaven before the world was ever created. Before you were born, your name was thrown or listed written down in the Lamb's book of life that you would receive salvation one day. You would become a Christian. You would become a believer. You would become born again. Now, 
I've had so many people ask me this. I'm going to close on this thought. What makes you really a Christian? Because I've heard people, and I've even made the foolish statements about some churches, saying if you're of this church or you're of this denomination, you can't be a Christian. Well, that, that's not true. I want, I want to take that and, and I want to I just extrapolate it just a minute. You know, it's not what church you go to that makes you a Christian. It's not what religion you are. See, man wants to dwell on religion or denomination. But God doesn't. God, did, God bases everything. And judgment at the great white throne is not based on whether you were a member of a certain church or whether you took part in a certain religious activity. Or you were good to people, or you were goodwill, you you went to you tithed, or you didn't none of that comes into play. Only thing that comes into play is do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You see, we're not born Christians. We're not born Christians. You can't go to a church and because you're a member of that church, when you join that church, that's not making you a Christian. That's making you a member of that church. I've had so much trouble through the years trying to explain that to people. And I've been to several big churches. Uh, when you join a church, say a Baptist church, you walk down the aisle, you join a church, and you're baptized. You're not baptized uh, into religion. I mean, you might be baptized into religion. You're not baptized into Christianity. In other words, that's not what's making you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is your trust of the Lord and your Savior. It's, you've been given a new heart. You're not the same as you used to be. You've been born again. And that has nothing to do with religion. I tell people all the time, I, I didn't always have, have enough understanding to even say this, but I can say it now because of a little light God has given me. We are saved in spite of the religion. We're saved in spite of the denominational affiliations and things. Those don't add to our salvation or help us any. Sometimes they hurt us. But Christ gives us salvation. Christ gives us a new heart. We are able to repent of our sins and turn from Him. Turn from those from that life of sin to Him. And these people are not. So if their names are not recorded in the book of life in which their names would have been recorded from the foundation of the earth, from before the foundation of the earth, if their name's not there, it's not there. It doesn't matter what deeds they did. It doesn't matter how good they were. It doesn't matter how much money they gave or how benevolent they were. They are not going to heaven. They are going straight to the eternal damnation and punishment, the penalty or the sentence. And we're going to take a look at that next time. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been William Rogers again with another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. Thank you so much.